Blaze On Demand. This is Ben Weingarten of The Blaze Books, and today I'm here talking with Katie Pavlich, New York Times bestselling author, Fox News contributor, editor at Town Hall, and now author of Assault and Flattery, The Truth About the Left and Their War on Women. Katie, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So the first question, throughout this book, you attack and poke holes in the left's argument that the right has been undertaking a war on women. What is your best argument that it's actually the reverse? Well, the left operates in a way where they constantly are accusing their opponents of what they're actually doing, and the war on women is no exception. We saw in the 2012 campaign uh, with Mitt Romney versus Barack Obama, which I covered heavily, President Obama you know, used um, a bunch of lies to try and get women to the polls, and he was very successful, lies about contraception bans, lies about women's rights, and, and quite frankly, lies about uh, the women's rights movement and the, and the history of the Democratic Party. You know, the reason a lot of this book came up, and the, one of the reasons why I got the idea for it is I was sitting at a 2012 DNC convention, and ironically, Sandra Fluck spoke on the same night as Bill Clinton, who has been accused of actual assault and, and, and even rape, which we're not supposed to talk about, apparently, because that doesn't fit into the war on women rhetoric from the left. But then it got worse when they played a five-minute tribute video to none other than Ted Kennedy after days and days of claiming to be fighting a war on women. And in this video, they stamped women's rights champion on the video in the text. And for some reason, in this glorification of his life, they failed to acknowledge the fact that he left a young woman to die in his car. Um, I think that's that's a pretty blatant abuse of women. Um, you know, the Obama campaign and Democrats in the past couple of years specifically have demeaned women and, and defined them by the pills that they take and by their body parts. It used to be that the biggest, you know, faux pas and the biggest taboo was to comment on a woman's dress and, you know, men dare not say a woman looks nice. But now all of a sudden it's okay for Democrats to openly discuss a, a woman's most intimate form of medication. Um, it's pretty dehumanizing. Um, and I think it's time that we, we take a look at that. On the other end of the spectrum, I would argue that the policies put forth by President Obama and by Democrats for the past couple of decades really making mo women more dependent on government than independent from it are not good for women in the long term. It doesn't give them economic opportunities. It doesn't allow them to grow in their own lives, in their career, or their personal lives. And I think that's been very detrimental to a lot of women. And one thing that I found uh, kind of interesting in the book is that you go into the history of both the civil rights movement and the women's rights movement, and you find that there's this sort of re repeated mischaracterization of history where the right is portrayed as being on the wrong side of history and the left is portrayed as being on the side of angels. But actually, as with civil rights, there's a long history of GOP support for women. Talk a little bit about that history. Right. So, you know, you, for the, the Democrats have been portrayed as the party for women's rights, and you would think that throughout history they've been very um, friendly to women. But actually, when you, you do a deep dive, as you just mentioned, and just like the civil rights movement, it was Republicans who fought for women's suffrage. It was Republicans who wanted women to have the right to vote. It was Republicans who wanted to give women a more equal playing field in society, who wanted there not to be as much discrimination against women, uh, especially in the workplace and in government. And it was Democrats who voted against women's suffrage. It was Democrats who 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 
openly mocked and made fun of um, the women's rights movement and the women's suffrage movement. It was Woodrow Wilson who, who basically said he, was, he thought that the suffragettes were annoying, essentially. Um, and it wasn't until the 1960s, which was much later than, than the women's suffrage movement, that Democrats finally came around and said, you know, it'd probably be pretty useful to use these women as political pawns. Let's do what we can to to form a women's revolution, which they did, and they hijacked the movement. And we've seen, you know, a completely different movement since that time till now. But we've also seen that Democrats got all the credit for being pro women when really it was the opposite. The first Republican congresswoman elected was, or the first uh, congresswoman, excuse me, elected to Congress was a Republican. Um, but that history is erased, just like, you know, and that's the way that they operate. They accuse people, their opponents, of what they're doing, and they also rewrite history in order to get their way. And part of that rewriting history and, uh, if you will, transformation uh, of the, the women's rights movement, as you mentioned in the book, ties back to Karl Marx, Bill Ayers, and, and Mary Alice Waters, not to be confused with Jesse Waters. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then you talk about how the feminist movement also sort of had as its implicit goal and even explicit goal not only an anti-marriage bias, but a bias towards effectively undermining the family structure, which is the foundation of civilization and has been for centuries. That sounds conspiracy theory-esque probably to someone on the left. And even for folks on the right, it probably helps to connect those dots. So explain what you're talking about there. Well, I came to this realization of, of what the 1960s, quote, women's rights movement was really all about. And I would argue, in the end, it's not necessarily about women's rights. It's about big government socialist Marxist policies. But I went to the the uh, the now National Convention in Chicago in 2013, last summer, and I really had a real eye-opener because – Besides, you know, besides being denied my press credentials as a female member of the press, um, I went in. I had to become a member of NOW in order to attend the conference, and I went to the exhibit hall. And all of the material that they were selling, I, you know, physical books, so people can say it's conspiratorial, but I have the Communist Manifesto in my hand right now that I bought when I went to the NOW convention. You know, the Communist Manifesto, Education for Socialists, and when you really break down all of the information that they're selling there. They talk all about how the the family is a a bad structure for women, how it limits women, how they have to break down the family, how it's um, you know quote a family system is indispensable to the structuring of social inequality and the economic dependence of women and their oppression within the family system is a result of class rule. I mean they they talk about how the family is oppressive and how it it promotes private property and that we can't have private property and that Marxists are the only ones who have the answers to to the feminist movement. And then you go even further and you look at some of the material that, that, that Bill Ayers produced with the Weather Underground, and they talk all about how they need to use women to to stoke a revolution because that will be the only way that they can eventually meet their end goals, which is socialism and Marxism. It's not coming from a theory I have. It's coming from the direct material that I picked up at the NOW convention, which is one of the largest, most influential um, women's rights movements in the country. I mean, they're the ones who pull the strings when it comes to Barack Obama's women's policy. And so I have all the material. It's quoted in the book. It's well-researched. And there's a, you know, when you look at the issues, and especially in light of the Hobby Lobby decision, when you have now coming out and attacking nuns um, and ignoring the fact that the entire council of the Hobby Lobby on the Hobby Lobby team defending Hobby Lobby was female, 
um, it really proves that they're really not interested in women's rights. They're interested in promoting big government policies. And at the end of the day, you know, there's always sort of a difference between the true believers and those who want to manipulate other people for power. Do you think that most of the Democratic leadership really cares about these issues, or is it about power? I think it's about power, and I think it's it's an easy punchline. You know, it's an easy thing to say. It's an easy argument to make, albeit a false argument, and to scare women into voting for you to say, your contraception is going to be banned if, if you let those big, bad Republicans in office. I mean, it's an easy, um, you know, non-intellectual argument to make that's based on no facts at all, which is not, you know, only not something we just see on this this issue. We see that with the left and a lot of the arguments they make, but they specifically do it with this issue. I think they use it for political purposes, but I really don't think in the end that they care much about the issue. I think they care about your responsibility and growing the power of the government, and they also care about money. Mm-hmm. And the virtual embodiment of the end of all of these policies is probably best represented in the Obama administration's own propaganda in the 2012 Life of Julia ad. Right. So the, for the, for people who don't recall this, during the 2012 presidential election, President Obama put out his campaign team, put out this whole Life of Julia slideshow, essentially, is what it was, showing this woman named Julia from birth to death being dependent on government programs. And what I mean by that is whether she was – you know, using Obamacare for her health care, whether she was using a federal loan for for her education, whether she was using federal handouts for her housing or food stamps or anything else, child care, you name it, the Obama administration was going to provide that to her through the government. What stood out to me, and this I think is something that people kind of missed when this happened, when the feminists were screaming there was a war on women, the left was screaming there was a war on women, why is it that Democrats and Team Obama didn't see fit to produce a life of John. Why is it that they only think women are incapable of running their lives without a government handout at every single turn, a dependence on the government at every single turn? I found that extremely sexist and demeaning and dehumanizing that they would only pick one side of the gender uh, spectrum to to choose to be dependent on on the government. And it's all for votes. But, but you know, it would be male privilege if there was a life of John. So they have to <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm sure it was white as well. <laughs> right, of course. Um, now, t- looking at the actual physical embodiments, um, you go through pretty much the most grotesque examples of Democrats themselves who are basically walking hypocrisies because mm-hmm. they're considered champions of women's rights, yet in their own personal lives they treat women horribly and are even aided and abetted by their wives. So you talk about the Kennedys, and you talk about Rose Kennedy in particular, standing by her man. And all I could think of when you were writing that section was about Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Talk about the parallels between these two women. And then also as a follow-up, can you ever recall an example of the press taking a sympathetic tone towards the wife of any Republican lawmaker who was an adulterer? Uh, no, and and it's important to, to to point out too that you know FD, from FDR to Kennedy to Clinton, they were all adulterers. You know, the, the, they have a long history of of these men being adulterers while these women stood by. Hillary Clinton, in particular, uh, has turned the women's rights movement into a joke by allowing that behavior to go on, helping to destroy the women who her husband abused 
sexually, um, and that you know that's why the name is called or the title of the book is Assault and Flattery. I mean, it's it's a perfect example. The Clintons are a perfect example of that. President Clinton flattered all these women, and then he assaulted them, and then you know there was all this fallout and continued assault, whether it was through media campaigns or destruction of their lives. But Hillary Clinton herself um, has a long history of of empowering um, and you know, ignoring and be excusing bad sexual behavior by some of the most powerful men in the country. Um, and Rose Kennedy did the same thing. And, and, and her family, quite frankly, is full of bad men who treated women very poorly. And Ted Kennedy is one of the worst, obviously, when he left that poor woman who was a loyal campaign staffer, by the way. It's not like she was some woman he picked up on the street and didn't have any loyalty to. She was there. She was all in, and he left her there to die. Um, and so, you know, it's really hard to take people like Hillary Clinton seriously when she claims she's a women's rights champion, when she's allowed the most powerful men uh, to walk all over, not only her, but women in general. You know, the whole point of the feminist movement was to not have to put up with men and husbands like Bill Clinton. The whole point was not to have to put up with husbands like Joe Kennedy. The whole point was to be able to get away from that, not to have to put up with philandering, because women could be independent and on their own and not dependent on a husband to survive, and yet they don't practice what they preach. And there are two kind of recent examples of this, obviously, with Hillary Clinton. Right. So, you know, in my opinion, Hillary Clinton's legacy is not going to be as a women's rights champion. It's going to be as defending rapists and sexual predators. And the story of Alana Goodman was phenomenal in that she, you know, the issue isn't that Hillary Clinton defended a child rapist. We all understand the American system is unique that way and that everyone, no matter how evil, gets a defense. The issue is Hillary Clinton laughing about the fact that she got off a 41-year-old man who raped a 12-year-old girl. And not only that, if you take a look at that case, the reason why he didn't get prosecuted or an extensive amount of, of, of jail time was because there was a, uh, a lack of evidence. Evidence was lost. And because there wasn't enough evidence, you know, Clinton, Hillary Clinton wasn't satisfied with that. She instead had to go further and accuse this 12-year-old girl, a child, of being emotionally unstable um, and, and, and maybe romanticizing about sexual experiences about a 12-year-old, as if, you know, she couldn't just say there were, the evidence was lost, let's move on. And then she laughed about it on tape. Um, fast forward, you know, 40 years to her work at the State Department, and there are repeated examples uh, showing that there was a there was a rampant sexual abuse of minor girls by high-ranking State Department employees under her watch, including US, a U.S. ambassador who was accused of, you know, ditching his security detail in order to solicit sexual favors, um, and then the biggest part of this is the reaction that women, female whistleblowers, received when they came out to talk about this. They were silenced directly by uh, Hillary Clinton's chief of staff. And Hillary Clinton left the State Department with a whole lot of bad sexual abuse going on, and yet she claims that she's a proponent of women and girls. You know, it's funny that the left seems to think that the only war on women is when there's some false threat of their contraception being taken away. But when it comes to actual abuse, actual rape, and actual assault, they seem to excuse it or ignore it. Yeah, now, conversely, um, despite the overwhelming amount of evidence that you go through in this book, uh, as you talk about, Republicans have not been able to fend off the war on women charges successfully in certain circumstances. So probably besides Mitt Romney's failure in 2012, you had Ken Cuccinelli in Virginia right. losing to Terry McAuliffe, who again sort of embodies the most grotesque principles 
uh, of those who wage a war on women. Uh, talk about what happened in the Virginia election and what Ken Cuccinelli could have done to neutralize McCulloch's attack. So essentially, Ken Cuccinelli, who has a phenomenal record on women's rights, he, he fought to put sexual predators behind bars, um, he was an attorney, he prosecuted really bad people who had not the best interests of women in mind, uh, lost to Terry McAuliffe because Ken Cuccinelli just didn't think that talking about social issues and addressing the, the quote, women's issues that the left was throwing at him was necessarily something that was worth his time. And that's a, a mistake that Republicans make. They think that the American electorate is above that. They think that talking about contraception or birth control is kind of silly, that it's 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 not something worth spending time on. But the fact is that it's a real issue that people cling on to. And if you don't address it, as Mitt Romney didn't, and as Ken Cuccinelli didn't, you get the left gets this clean slate to kind of draw all over you and to define your position. You know, Chris Christie is a good example of how this didn't happen. Chris Christie came out right away in his campaign. He was running against a woman and said, this is my position on the, the abortion issue. Take it or leave it. I'm done with it. And because he addressed it quickly, it wasn't even an issue in the campaign, even though he was running against a woman. In the Ken Cuccinelli campaign, they kind of just ran away from it, didn't address it, and therefore he was painted as this kind of knuckle-dragging caveman who didn't want women to have any rights at all, um, which is what the, the ads running in Virginia were saying. And so it's important to, for Republicans to come out at, at the beginning, to be honest about their position, to talk about it in a way that's that's quick and fast, and to move on to more serious issues and to talk to women in a way that doesn't define them by their pills. Uh-huh. And you also quote Mitt Romney at length in this book and talk about what, and this is me paraphrasing it, is basically Romney's still to this day tone deafness with regard to dealing with attacks on him, you know, when it comes to the binders full of women type comments. Yeah. And you still have people talking about Mitt Romney as a potential viable candidate in 2016. And it clearly shows that this is an issue that transcends establishment versus Tea Party type candidates because Cuccinelli, I think everyone would agree, is is a staunch conservative and mm -hmm. Mitt Romney, I think most most everyone would agree, is pretty much an establishment type candidate. What are the implications? Who used to be pro choice, by the way. I mean right. yeah. yeah. Well when he was running against Ted Kennedy. Mm -hmm. Right. So I guess the question is what are the implications for the GOP today if they've identified the fact that they're having a real tough time among female vote voters yet still consider Mitt Romney a viable candidate when, as you illustrate in this book, he still doesn't know how to deal with attacks from the left as him being a participant in the war on women. Well, I actually asked Mitt Romney what his reaction was to the binders full of women controversy. And although he knew what I was referring to, he just he told me that he wasn't really paying attention to it. And that's a huge problem because that was one of, a huge turning point in the campaign. And as silly and stupid as it is, it was a huge turning point in the campaign. And he told me he just kind of wasn't paying attention to it. Um, and if he's going to run again in 26, 2016, I would hope that they would take some of the lessons uh, forward and, and move on with that. In terms of Republicans not addressing it correctly and, and continuing to pick candidates, that's a whole other issue uh, that I don't really want to get into now. But you know they they can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity. Yep. They're going to have to sit down, 
look at what's going on, look at the, the failures, and actually pay attention. I mean, it's, it's a simple matter of paying attention and responding to attacks. I mean, the, the, the idea that he wasn't paying attention to what people were saying about the binders full of women comment is a very serious concern, um, which shows you, you know, maybe they just weren't so in tune. But that is something, you know, paying attention and responding quickly is something Republicans are going to have to do. And I'm not saying just responding with, you know, some kind of statement. I mean, when they say that you're going to ban contraception, you call them liars and, and, and talk about how that's not true. And by the way, the Supreme Court made it impossible to do that a long time ago. Um, and, and coming back to, with just as much force as they are with their lies. Uh-huh. And meanwhile, you call in this book Barack Obama the most anti-woman president ever, which will probably make liberals' heads explode. Explain <laughs> yeah. that. Well, you know, if liberals believe that Barack Obama is the most pro-woman American president in history, then why does he seek to make women completely dependent on the government? I mean, I walked away from the 2012 campaign thinking Democrats' platform is they want women dependent on government, not independent from it. And as we've seen throughout history, dependence on government for women has been an atrocity. I mean, look at any country in the world where women are dependent on government instead of themselves or instead of their families, and you'll see that they're, they're, they live poorer lives, they live less um, substantial lives, they less, live less hopeful lives, and the free market is really the way to do that. And President Obama's policies uh, really make women more dependent on government, whether it's through business, whether it's through their health care, or anything else. I mean, and talk about one of the biggest lies that President Obama ever told women. You know, selling Obamacare as if it was going to be this big glory, you know, this glory day for women to finally have Obamacare. It was going to make their health care cheaper. It was going to give women more access to to contraception. It was going to give women more access to doctors. When in reality, women's premiums have gone up by 100%. Women who women no longer have the specialists that they used to go to. Women can't find doctors because they're all retiring. Women who were getting cancer treatments beforehand are no longer getting those cancer treatments. It was one of the biggest lies ever told, and yet no one's talking about it, and that's also something that's clearly addressed in the book. You also speak at length in the book about the topic of abortion. What do you want readers to walk away from on abortion and talk a little bit about how that fits into your overall framework that the left is perpetuating this war on women. On the abortion issue, I just want people to walk away understanding that the way the left portrays abortion is is false. They portray abortion as if it's like going to get a flu shot when the opposite you know, is very true. And it's, the fact is, like, if the right is to an abortion gives women personal autonomy and sexual freedom, then why are its debilitating after effects from you know, depression to infertility conveniently overlooked. You know, you always have liberals screaming about how they want women to have access to health care and access to information. But on the abortion issue, you know, groups like Planned Parenthood do everything they can to keep real information about what abortion is and what the after effects are out of the hands of women. And so there's always going to be controversy surrounding that issue, but the left, as usual, with almost every single issue, they don't tell the whole truth about what abortion really is. And I interview some women who had abortions who deeply regret them. I talk about um, the details of some of the most horrific abortion doctor cases. Um, I just want people to walk away knowing that, look, abortion is not like getting a flu shot, and it's time that the left stop lying to women about that fact because it has long-term, serious, life, lifelong consequences. One other uncontroversial or non-controversial 
topic that you address is gun rights. Why is the NRA, in your view, a real pro-women's rights group? And how has legislation like the Brady Act actually had, a, or Brady Law, rather, actually had a demonstrably dangerous effect on women's safety? Right. So if liberals believe that strong, independent women can protect themselves as independents, right, why do they oppose the right to carry and own a handgun for self-defense? You know, God made man and God made woman, but Sam Colt made them equal. And there is nothing, you know, more powerful than equalizing men and women than giving a woman the, the chance to defend herself with a firearm. Women had a right to carry a firearm before they had the right to vote. Um, and d Democrats are the ones who are constantly pushing these ridiculous gun control, you know, pieces of gun control legislation that are dangerous to women. Um, for example, the Brady Act required uh, waiting time. So a woman who is being abused by her husband and wants to go out and buy a handgun to defend herself has to wait a day or two to do that. And there is one case of one woman who was killed as a result of that waiting period. She thought her husband was going to kill her. She went to go buy a gun. There was a waiting period. And in the time when she was waiting to get that handgun, thanks to this ridiculous piece of legislation, she was killed. Um, another you know, good example in an interview that I do in the book is with Amanda Collins, who is a, a rape survivor who in 2005 was walking to her car on the campus of um, University of Reno, Nevada, walked to her car with a group of friends, tore, you know, broke off in the parking garage, was raped at gunpoint in a gun-free zone 50 feet away from the campus police station. And she had a concealed carry permit, but she didn't have her concealed weapon because of university policy, which was put in place by liberals. The man who raped her went on to rape two other women and killed another one. And so there's four victims right there um, that they put into place, and it's all because of their asinine gun control agenda, which has a detrimental effect on women, and it blows the argument that they want if they really want women to be equal, then they need to give them the firepower and allow them to make that choice to defend themselves against violent men. On the merits, when it comes to applying facts and logic to this issue of, of the war on women, um, you know, the, the debate is settled, you know, the science is clear, there's consensus, there should be a consensus anyway that the left, as you say, basically practices all the things that they argue they're against and is using women basically as political pawns. Now, that said, Republicans got shellacked in the 2012 elections at a national level. So my question is, are we talking to an echo chamber, or do you have hope that people can still be reached on these issues? I think that it's important to get, it's extremely important to get out of the echo chamber, and this is why. I go to I speak on college campuses a couple times a year, and on the women's issue, young women are going to college, and the only garbage that they're learning is from the women's studies department and the women's department on campus, and they're learning the exact things that we've all, what I've just told you, you know, these false contraception bans that they're victims, you know, these women's groups package victimhood as empowerment. Um, but the fact is that if, if people like me or people who agree with what I've written in this book aren't on college campuses or aren't going to women's groups or aren't out there telling women the other side of the story, you can't blame them for thinking that way because they've never heard the other side. They've never heard the truth about what's going on. So you can't blame women for thinking that if they've never heard the other side of the story. A good example of that is the Hobby Lobby case. There's this great video outside the Supreme Court of someone interviewing these young women, asking them, do you, do you know that Hobby Lobby provides 16 different forms of contraception? And it just makes them stop and think and go, oh, I didn't know that. 
But you can't blame them for knowing that because no one is telling them. So if you want people to know something and to think about the way that they go about things, you have to give them information, and that's our job. The name of the book is Assault and Flattery, The Truth About the Left and Their War on Women, and the author is Katie Pavlich. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it.